Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And this episode was a real joy to record. I'm joined by Steve Ellis. What a voice. What a lovely fella. We'll talk love affair, everlasting love, and what it was like to have a number one single, a smash hit in 1968, and to be the biggest selling band after the Beatles. We'll talk about his friendship with Paul Weller, a friendship lasting years, including live and record performances, and we'll bring it bang up to date with his latest album called Boom Bang Twang, which was a mix of new songs and lots of covers as well, with many friends, including Paul Weller, who also produced the album. It was recorded at Black Barn as well, so we'll dig into all of that on this podcast you'll love this episode dive on in my very special guest steve ellis thanks for joining me that's a pleasure dan all right yeah i'm a bit confused as to what the hell we're doing but there you are. <laughs> nice to see you false pretenses i believe have I? <laughs> he had no idea what he was joining, folks. No, no idea. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Um, now, this is the Paul Weller Fan Podcast. We are going to dig into some links that you've had with Paul over many, many years. But first of all, we yes. have to kick off this podcast by understanding where your love of music came from, because it was a, it was like a ridiculously young age that you started out in this industry, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I put my hands up to the fact that when I was a kid, like a small kid, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, how do I get in this? But I liked the record about, oh, I couldn't, I don't know how old I was, but it was a record like by Tommy Steele called Little White Bull. Oh, yeah. And I used to sing it when I was a kid to my mum. And then the next thing I remember, my sister got married and I was at her wedding, obviously. And, um, and there was a band on called The Outlaws. And I was absolutely transfixed, standing on my own at the front like about six footmen watching them their every move and I was just like taken in by it then I, I mean I was in a gang you know we all grew up together say so gang but you, we didn't go around beating people up unless we got into trouble with other gangs but I mean what I'm saying is we were kids that grew up 
together, about 12 of us, and we're all into soul, Motown, soul, all that sort of stuff. Me personally, I I loved um, all of that and carried it over to the first band that I was in when I was still at school, 16. We just used to have to do cover versions for all the, for all the mod clubs, um, like the Flam- we did the Flamingo when we were 16. We were told we mustn't tell anybody how old we were. I think we were a bit of a sort of freak show because the drummer was 14. We'd go and do like the marquee and we ended up with the residency at the marquee. We'd do all these clubs in London and Ricky Tick out with the, all over and then we'd go, get up and go to school next morning. <laughs> uh, what influences was I, I got off the point, you've got to stop me if I get off the point. My wife says I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson, yes, green is green is green. Okay, fine. Stick um, to the point, Steve. Is that what I she know. says? I love it. <laughs> was this the Soul Survivors? This was the man, the Soul Survivors, Correct. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And didn't you used to just gate crash weddings and stuff and, and youth yeah, clubs and saying that you'd been yeah. booked? <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. We were before the Sex Pistols. But I mean, the stuff that I loved was, was like Eddie Floyd, Percy Sledge. Um, we used to do whatever, Muddy Waters. We did I'm a Man. We did Aaron Neville, Wilson Pickett, Solomon Burke. All those guys, and I ended up playing with them. It was like one of their moments. I, I, I've said this before, you know, I went back on the road in the 90s after a bad accident. I didn't even think about recording. It never even came on my radar. I'd just get out and play. We like gig for 10 years, and it was great. It was, not, you know, like one band, one van, one driver, and a PA, you know, PA guy, and, and we just went out and played anywhere and everywhere, and we had absolute time of our life. <laughs> Never thought about recording ever. I ended up playing with with um, Eddie several times. I've met Eddie quite a few times. He's top bloke, and uh, and Percy Sledge. I only met Percy once, and that was a gigging. I think it was in Holland, massive bloody sport Antwerp Sports Palais, and it was rammed. And there was like Martha, who's who's a friend, Martha Reeves. She's lovely, Martha. And so I'm I'm playing with all these sort of influences when I was a kid. You know, so and then I end up centre stage with Percy Sledge. They had this like encore at the end, and I hate those things, but I thought, no, I ain't missing this one. (laughs) Chubby Checker as well. When I'm oh my god, what? (laughs) When I was at school, I remember Chubby Checker when I was like 14 at school disco. You know, falling over my winkle pickers. You know, trying to be cool, man. Centre stage uh, with Percy. And they do the encore, and there's there's like loads of British bands as well. We went over on a flight together, and Dave, oh, oh, blessing, uh, rest in peace from the from the tremolos, turned around to me and said, "God, if this goes down, it'd be the biggest one in history." There was about ten bands on the equals as well. It was a massive show, a massive show. And I ended up centre stage with Purse and and um, on the mic. And uh, they're doing shake, rattle, and roll. And I don't know the words to shake, rattle, and roll. I'm going to faint this idea what the words to shake, rattle, and roll. So he's shouting them down my ear, and I'm singing into the mic, you know. And I'm thinking, sort of in between him and singing and me singing, I'm thinking, how the fuck did this happen? (laughs) I was at school in a band singing When a Man Loves a Woman every night for like however many years we did before we, we had a hit record. And they end up on stage standing next to him and he's shouting the words down there to shake, rattle, and roll. You couldn't make that one up, really, could you? And the Soul Survivors morphed then into the love affair. Essentially, one band morphed into the next. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely right, Dan. It was, uh, we started out um, 
like the boys hung out with like cool, loosely called a gang. Nigel was uh, my pal, well, all my pals, but Nigel was like playing the guitar and uh, we'd go down to the swimming pool and stuff like that, hang about, listen to records around each other. So he says, Yeah, you can sing. I went, Can I? He went, no, yeah, yeah, you can sing. I wanted to be a drummer, but my dad wouldn't buy me a drum kit. And HP and all that, my dad was having none of it. I had biscuit tins. I'd be, I was in a band before the Soul Vibes when I was about 13, but I just had quality street biscuit tins. <laughs> I got, the, I got I got the sack. I'm not surprised. Did they do they make a decent tune? I don't know. No, it was two Irish boys I used to go to a boxing club with <laughs> when we were at school and, and they had these catalogue guitars. I could still smell the paintwork when they came out of the boxes and I was so jealous. But in a good way. I thought, yeah. Oh, you lucky lucky seven guitar, I think it was called, or something like that. And I went home and I went, Dad, I've got I've got to have a drum kit, you know. I've been up and looked in the shop, all these drum kits in the window and everything. You know. What are you talking about? I, I, I said, I want to get a drum kit for the band, you know. My dad was a lovely, lovely man. He was like an angry Buddhist, my dad, <laughs> you know. He was the most peaceable man on God's earth, but if he got a beard bonnet about something, it, it was like, no, you're not having it. Oh, no, 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 no. In fact, for my whole life, until my mother, bless her, passed away at the age of 90, would still say on the phone to me, my mum, would still say, you could have been the manager at the co-op. <laughs> Because <laughs> I worked at the co-op when I was at school. You know, like, <laughs> oh, the old, um, I had the old, would you? I'm that old, Dan, I used to drive the butcher's bike. You remember the old one with a with a basket on the front? Oh, yeah. You know, the, the Hovis ad. The Hovis ad, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was you. I had one of them. I used to do deliveries to all the old dears, you know. <laughs> and they were, they, they were lovely. They used to give me loads of tips and everything. I sort of was then I was on the butcher's counter, then vegetable counter. I knew it all. I'd done it all. You know, I learned it all. But I was a kid, you know, and the manager was a, was a nice guy. And his son worked there, and a, and a job came up for manager. Well, I was just about to leave school, you know. And um, he said, uh, I'm considering you for for manager's job, like a co-manager job or whatever. And I said, what about your son? He said, my son, he's a bloody idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I went home and I said, I only offered me a job. With a co-op, and my mum's, oh, that's fantastic. Uh, but I was in the band, so I said, no, I'm not having that, mum. My dad insisted I had an apprenticeship, so I was apprentice electrician for about nine months. Glorified T-boy and runner, and tightening nuts and bolts. Well, I, I definitely don't fancy this for life, thank you very much, God. So um, the band started sort of getting a big following, and um, did, a, did a dreadful record that died a death and, and deserved to. Mum liked it and got played by Tony Blackburn, bless him. Um, that died a death. And then we got offered the, the uh, Everlasting Love. And I jumped at it because it was Southern Soul, and I, and I loved it. It's, I mean, it's a proper soul soul anthem, that, isn't it? And it's, and it's one, presumably, well, a, a song that changed your life, I'm guessing. It's a madness, because it, for a while I wouldn't play it when I left the band, because... Because it turned into to like scream of delica. You couldn't hear anything. It was just all girls screaming. You couldn't hear anything. It was just all screaming. And um, I thought, I, I got into this for the music, you know. So I formed a band with, with, um, with money after that. But I don't know. I, I could be manager at court. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love the fact that your mum's like, you know what, yeah, this music stuff and being top of the charts and being you know, the biggest selling band after the Beatles in 1968, it's all very impressive, son, but actually you could have been manager of the co-op. You know it. But no, the, and then the other thing I was going to say is like, my dad, oh, you've got to have an apprenticeship. Blah, 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 blah. And then my mum, to a dying day, he used to say to me on the phone, and I was like, when are you going to get a proper job? You could have been the manager at the co-op. 
Let's go. Man, for God's sake, let it go, woman. We see CEO of the co-op by now. <laughs> I know. I, I could have owned it. No, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm joking. And... <laughs> now, take us back there. I know you don't look back too often. You're much like Paul in that sense. But do take us back to the, those late 60s where you're having those big hits, that massive chance success. Everlasting yeah. Love we talked about. But, you know, Rainbow Valley, A Day Without Love, Bringing On Back yeah. the Good Times, these huge, big songs. You are math, the band are massive. Um, what does that feel like being part of that mix? It's a madness because, um, as I recall, you know, it's just a madness because you, you're just like um, hamsters on a wheel. It's like you're forever perpetual motion. You, you you don't stop because you're young. You've got all the energy in the world, so, so it, it, we're just having the time of our lives, and we're just but we're just playing all the time. We're playing practically every night, and then in between that, you've got like people going, "Oh, we, can we do a photo session?" You get eight o'clock in the morning, and you're like, "Oh no, please, no, no." But the manager says you've got a photo session at Battersea Funfair at eight o'clock, filming a video or something like that, you know, and um, top of the pops or whatever. I don't know. You're just forever in perpetual motion, but you, you're sort of living the dream because you, you, we, I mean, we did work hard to make it. We didn't just get it handed on a plate. We, we did work hard. You know, all that baking it down in the vans and sleeping in the vans and sleeping in the park. I used to bunk off work because I get back from a gig at four in the morning from Manchester, say, and, and then it's be expected to get up at work for six. And after a while, I just thought, I can't be doing this anymore. And I'm earning like £2.17 at the AEI in Willesden, which is about, as you know, about what £2.75 or something. Right. And then I'm getting um, four times out playing every, uh, gigs. So I just used to give mum's money and tell my dad that um, everything was good at work. Uh, until he found out that my uncle was parked <laughs> and he found me asleep in the in the bushes. <laughs> uh, I got grassed up by my uncle Tommy. <laughs> and um and my dad wasn't best pleased. But then we had this hit and it was just like everything changed, you know, everything became different. My dad was more accepting of it. I wouldn't do it for a couple of years. I just thought I've got a new band together with so we weren't doing it, it wasn't on the on the uh, set list. In a sec, we'll get into how you and when you performed that song with Paul Weller as well, because that's going to be a lovely okay. story. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But we should dig into I'm when it. Off. You know, I'm slagging off, don't you? Always. They don't even like each other, folks. They're not friends at all. But when was it you first discovered the music of Paul Weller? Were you a jam fan? No, I wasn't. Uh, not in a bad way. I I got out of the music industry. We had a manager called Don Arden. I was in a band called Widow Maiden, which was like a a rock band, and we toured relentlessly, endlessly, America, everywhere. And I just thought, you know, oh, I'd rather see my kids grow up, quite frankly. And I know that Paul feels kind of the same way about America, because if you want to break America, you got a tour there, like six, seven. This is back in the day. I don't know about now, because the whole industry's changed. But, you know, you'd have to, like, bands like Humble Pie and all that, Stevie Marriott and, and Peter Frampton and that. And Jerry, my mate, Jerry the drummer, is a good pal of mine, still is. Jerry would tell me, like, we'd done six, seven tours, three months, bust America, you know, and they did it in the end. But at what price, you know, mm-hmm. it's like... Mm-hmm. Brutal. We were on the, on the spin for three and a half months, and I came back and I thought, I don't want this. I worked on the docks uh, for about a year, which was kind of good. It was a leveler, straightener, you know, and until um, somebody dropped two tonne of metal on my feet and broke my feet in half. So that, that, that wasn't really best plan. So I got, 
good few years out of, out of the uh, music while I got them sorted. Then I took up karate, as you do, <laughs> and got really fit. And then um, somebody said to me, um, you know what, you've got to get back on the road. And I remember way, way back, I mean, you've really gone through my mind here, Dan, with these questions. I mean, um, go back to like probably, probably the, when I had the band with Zoot and it, it and it kind of ground to a halt for record label. I won't even go into it. Record label politics. We had to we had to split up. And the record label said, "Oh, we keep you, but we've got to drop the band." And I wasn't best pleased about it, of course, because it was a great band, as far as I'm concerned. I was sort of a bit bandless, and I felt a, a little bit lost. So I went and saw Alexis Corner. I don't know if you've heard of him. No, I haven't. Um, well, Alexis was was first generation blues rock. If you like, I mean him and him and perhaps John Mayle were were kind of the originators of of the British kind of beat, but for want of a better word, beat boom. You know, before all the bands came along, like the Who, bands of that ilk. You know, that people talk about. You know, this sort of um, religious fervor. But before that, there was there was um, Alexis, and Alexis was was a was a really good guy and he was really clued but he, he had this evil uh, you have to play live he said Steve what you've got to do is get out there and play again and I, and I thought you know what he's right I'm fed up of walking demos around record labels because when you're hot you're hot but when the hits dry up you sit waiting outside in the waiting room for three hours instead of three minutes when you're yeah. king of the world you're, you're ushered straight in like you're some landed gentry but if you haven't had a hit for a couple of years it's like well how much longer have I got to wait here mate I've got to go and pick my kids up or something you know they go oh well he won't be long you know he won't be long you're sitting in the reception like a muppet you know you say god I've got so off the point haven't I I've told you <laughs> stop me I know what happened. We've got, got a wheel all the way back. I'm on the docks. This is about 78, 9, something like that. 78, 79. So the casuals at work, like the young boys at work, seven, eight, nine years younger than me, we used to have like transistor radios on the quay when we were unloading the boats. You know, you get Russian boats full of peat. That was a lovely job. Three days of unloading Russian peat. And it's frozen stiff from the Baltic. You can imagine what it's like. But you've got a, a transistor radio and it's blasting out and there's this band on the, the jam and they're raging. Fantastic, the jam. You know. It sort of passed me by, maybe because I was a bit older, you know, I was sort of like maybe a generation older. But then um, Paul got the Style Council together and I kind of liked him. But I, I sort of, I liked Paul Eric because I saw him on, on um, Jonathan Ross show. And he argues this, but I've got a better memory than him, I think. But I saw him on a Jonathan Ross show, and he was doing a tribute to Steve Marriott, ironically, to Tin Soldier. Yes. And because Steve passed away. And um, I said to my wife, I said, I really like that guy. There's something about that guy. I like that guy. So I sent him some tapes of some demos I'd done, and he got in touch, and he said, uh, come up to um, when he had the studio at um, what's it called Solid Bond yeah? yeah that's it yeah so I went up Solid Bond with my daughter Katie I tell you how long it was she's 50 now but she, she was a bit of a jam fan and um, I said do you want to come meet Paul she said oh yeah can I come with you dad I went yeah of course you can <laughs> so we went up there me and Paul just hit off we just similar personalities I suppose and Mick was there his lovely guy Mick Talbot and Stevie the drummer yeah. Lovely guys. We just got on. I don't, I don't know. Me and Paul just got on and stayed, stayed pals ever since, you know, since 
tapes or or phone each other. I don't drive him mad. You know, he'll phone me when he's not busy. I'll phone him when I'm not busy. But I'm, I've been busy for eighteen months. <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been in lockdown, which is boring. But I'll paint anything that doesn't move. Apparently, I have to start indoors now. <laughs> That'll be me. But I've got gigs coming up. December. So then we go back to the friendship. So the friendship with Paul's forms, and um, and presumably that's a shared love of music as much as anything else. Isn't yeah, it? That, that is pretty much what it all is. I mean, Charles at the barn, you know, the engineer. I think he's more than an engineer, Charles, but I can't praise Charles enough. We were talking. I, I don't know. We were just talking on the phone the other day. He said, "Yeah, but you, your connection, you two, is is music." I said, "Yeah, you're bang on." I said, "It's always been music. It's always been about the music." But when you talk about the kids and, and other normal sort of things as well you know but i don't i don't drive him mad you know i I don't get this people drive people bloody mad for for what reason what is it i don't get it somebody on the podcast the other day said about working with paul which was declan o'rourke i don't know if you know declan and he'd been at barn barn and recorded his album and he was saying about that you know when, when it comes to making the music paul's a serious musician this is this is work it's kind of you know yes yes collaborating and it's fun creating and stuff but he's a he's a serious musician oh no 100 percent. i think he's finally got it after 30 years uh i did a charity single for um the nspcc step inside my love 1998 right blimey how did you know that oh there you Good go look. <laughs> anyway short story don't let me get off the point we did it me and my band we did it up at um, Rollover Studios in Beethoven Street. Now, that's true. <laughs> is that true? That is <laughs> God's truth. That <laughs> okay. is God's truth. Well, the engineers up there, didn't be doing ha- this is like about the time of house music, but the engineers up there, good lads, but they never mic'd a drum kit before. I could not believe it. We were teaching them how to mic, mic it up. Anyway, the, the files got sent down to my mate's studio in Brighton, and some of it was missing. And they scratched their heads. As far as I can recall, I was talking to Paul about it. And he said, oh, don't worry, I'll come down. And that's where it kicked off, really. So Paul put some guitar on it and a bit of keyboards at the end because it didn't need much else to have strings on it and stuff and guitars and the band. But it was just bits missing. Paul come down and put stuff on, which was great. I sort of watched him and I thought, I've always believed that somebody knows what they're doing, don't interfere. Because it's a bit like, um, I don't know, would you tell David Beckham how to play football? as analogies you do you know what I'm saying if yeah. somebody knows 100% what they're doing don't interfere unless it's something totally relevant so I just let Paul get on with it on that particular day and then he said oh, do you want anything else put a bit of keyboards on there and that'd be great thanks mate brilliant 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 and um, now so we'll if you go forward to like now the same applies if you go to the barn you know I've just been up, up at Black Barn we've had a song worked on in the post <laughs> <laughs> the lockdown post where where you send me a tune so forth Charles put it on a CD and I'll get it put my headphones on so he worked on that and the same applies so you got Ben the moons I call him the Black Barn crew but um, Ben Godelia yeah unfortunately Andy wasn't able to do the session this time because his, his wife girlfriend is, is not very well so that was a bit of a shame but um, Paul got on it and played bass instead and then we got Ben on drums but Paul's sort of multi-instrumentalist you know I've seen him come across the years and get better and better piano player and he's just an all-rounder so yeah Declan's right but Paul lives and breathes music it absolutely is like a machine it just sit in a studio it is something and he's up out of the seat and he's out there be a guitar a bass guitar or, or a piano or similar backing bow whatever you just think right okay let can get all of it 
because he knows what he's doing. Or he might say, well, what about that? I don't, I, I don't interfere. I don't worship Paul. He's my mate. First and foremost, Paul is my mate. If anything else, we'd be mates, you know. And um, I met Steve uh, that was in the jam in the beginning. Steve Brooks, yeah. Yeah, Brooksy. He played on the track I just did as well. And what a lovely guy he is. I've never met him before. He just pulls it on, gets Steve Brooks up, gets on. I went, okay. And he put a bit of guitar on. Oh, brilliant. So this is new. I can't wait to hear this. Steve Brooks has been on the podcast recently as well. He's a lovely guy. He's a really sweet guy. Really, really genuinely nice guy. It's always about like the serious musician. That trip to Brighton is, I mean, Paul doesn't just rock up. Doesn't he have like a van full of guitars for you as well? Oh, you heard the rumour. Is that right? Didn't he just kind of come no, fully loaded, didn't he? That was funny. That was funny. It didn't make me laugh because I went back on the road about 90, 91, something like that. We hit the road, van, band, driver. Oh, I told you, you know. Paul says, oh, come down. When he comes down, he comes down with Dodge. I don't know if it was a Hertz truck or whatever, but it was a big-ass truck. And, and, it, and, you know, it was about, he's got about seven, nine guitars in it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> what guitars are you going to get out? No. But not fair do. So many probably thought, well, I might try that or I might try that. Yeah, yeah, it's just brilliant. But, it's not but like, we had a good day. We had a good day. You mentioned that this love of live performance. We should get into when that when that's coincided with Paul as well, because there's been a few occasions. There was you mentioned Steve Marriott. There was a Steve Marriott Memorial concert which you we were involved in. You were involved in organising yeah. that as well, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Dan short version is Dean Powell. Um, my pal was Frank Warren's uh, right hand man. He's passed away. I tell you, it's all going on now. I can't believe it. Dean was like one of my best mates. And he phoned me up and he went, do a uh, tribute for, for Marriott. Nobody's ever given him a good send-off. So we started off at the Ruskin, which is where the band used to rehearse. It was never about the small faces. It was about Steve. It was just giving him a good send-off. And it went so well. We had three, We sent three coaches up from Brighton. It went so well that they rolled it over to the next year. And I said to Dean, no, we didn't ought to keep doing this, Dean. So on about the third one, we had quite a lot of people come down. Dennis Greaves, bless him, uh, Craddock, Steve Craddock, Pat Arnold. Uh, and a lot of bands. A lot of bands all played for nothing. You know, but it rolled over. And then it, I get a phone call from Jerry Shirley, the drummer in Humble Pie, who I mentioned before, that worked with Steve for years, and who's still one of my best buds, uh, although he supports Tottenham, but I forgive him. <laughs> he said, I need some help. I said, what's going on? He said, uh, I'm organising this Astoria gig. I said, I've heard about this. What's going on? Then I spoke to Dean about it, and we 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 ended up doing Astoria, and um, Paul did it, Noel Gallagher did it, uh, uh, Matt come over, America, small faces, so the Max lovely guy, but Kenny Jones as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, you mentioned Tin Soldier earlier on. You come on for Tin Soldier, don't you? Yeah, but that was that was Paul. I felt like Sting at Live Aid. I kept coming on because because <laughs> what happened? Oh, it's true. I tell you, what happened was Chris Farlow is an old mate of mine. You know Chris Farlow, surely. Chris didn't turn up, and I've toured with him since, and I, I don't know what happened. Something went wrong. He's no shirker, Chris. He's, he's, he's eighty. What is he now? He's older than me. Chris is like 81, two, and he's still gigging. You know, you won't stop him. He, he says to me, he says, oh, I don't care if I die on stage. I don't care if I die on stage, son. That's what I do, boy. That's what I do. But that's how he talks. But um, I, I love him a bit. But he, he, he was a no-show, so I go back on. 
again with the All Star Band with Zach Starkey, what a drummer, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Bucket Carwell, Dave, he's a lovely guy, and uh, Bobby, who was the Streetwalkers of Roger Chapman. Great band, great, great band. But I don't want to digress. Then I thought, right, that's it. I'm going home because my wife and kid and me and the boy was with me. And I said, oh, I'm going home now. Tell her, I'll see you later. And then Paul comes up and dresses me. He says, are you going to come and do t- Tin Soldier with us at the end? I went, oh, come on, you do it. He went, he went, he went no, 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 I want you to do it. So I went on saying that and I, and I had my jeans and my jean jacket on. I was going home. <laughs> and um, so then they go into the encore of what you're going to do about it, by which time I'll give up. I'm losing the will. So I sat on the sat on the on the drum riser next to Jerry Shirley, and I, I just watched him. I thought I'm not getting on that mic again. They will call me Sting forever. <laughs> That's so funny. And then a few months later, you're there in Croydon. So Paul was at this point. Paul was doing the Days of Speed tour, which was, I mean, just magical. The vinyl has just been re-released. It's so good to get that again because it's Paul acoustic guitar, him and the audience. It was brilliant. And um, and Steve Craddock with him at parts. Gem was um, Gem Archer was him at parts as well. Mm. You were there the Croydon gig just down the road from me, actually, December the sixth, two thousand and one. Where did you live, Dan? I live in Carshalton, Sutton, just down the road from Croydon. I know it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, around the corner from me. I wasn't there that night, but you get up. So how does that uh, – were you in the audience anyway? I'll make this amusing for you. One of my best pals, Mark, he's a builder. I've known him all his life, right? He's got a massive building firm now. He worked really hard. He's a major, major, major Paul Weller fan. I mean, he's been to every gig. He's not like worship at the altar job. He just, oh, he's great. He's brilliant. Geezer, I love him, you know, and and he goes to all these things. And if he can't get to see Paul, he go and see from the jam. And, yeah. and oh, we so need to get him on. So he sounds great. <laughs> oh, he's top bloke. He's top bloke. He's phoned me up and he's gone. I'm going to see Paul Weller at um, this gig. Blah 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 blah. I said, Oh yeah. I couldn't tell him. See, I went. Oh, I wind him up. So I went. Yeah. I said, Well, I might see you there. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Paul had already phoned me and he'd gone, Fancy coming up, maybe do a couple of numbers. So I said, Yeah, and I'll come up with Val and my wife, did a sound check, went for a couple of tracks and um, went on. And that's it. That's all there is to it. It was like, run for a couple of tracks, went on. And um, <laughs> I looked down, <laughs> I looked down on the third person back on the right hand side was my mate Mark, and I just pointed at him and burst out laughing. <laughs> and he still. He still mentions it to this day. He goes, you bastard. I said, yeah, I couldn't tell you. I said, no. I said, I want to wind you up. You know, I mean, Mark's met, met Paul Cutler three times and he, he just says, well, what a top bloke. He said, you know. I knew you did Everlasting Love. Was that, What was the other track then? Oh, yeah. He sprung that on me. Uh, Broken Stones, is oh, it? Oh, was it Broken Stones? I didn't know you did Devils that. Devils on oh, the wow. Beach, that one. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't realise it'd come round again. I, I, I listened to it in a car on the way up, and I thought, yeah, I've got it. And then it come back in a second. It's like it rolls round. It rolls round on itself, so you end up singing double. So I had a lump of cardboard in my mouth with the rest of the words. <laughs> if you can imagine. <laughs> I listened said, I wish I'd had a bloody camera. So I'm standing there, standing there on the right-hand side with a lump of cardboard in my mouth, clapping my hands uh, with the rest of the words on. But it sort of rolls around on itself. I think that song kind of had a life of its own. It, it, it sort of, I don't, it, it sort of impacted with people, didn't it? That track. I've seen a lot of Paul gigs. You know, if he's around, you know, if he's around here, I, I mean, if he's playing Manchester, you can forget about it. But I mean, if he's playing in and around Brighton or or, or wherever, I went to Bournemouth once. You know, if he's local, 
Douglas, of course I'll go if I'm not working, but I've missed him the last three years because I've been touring myself. So now look, I should ask you about the album. So let's get into a couple of couple of things I need to ask you about. So that version of Everlasting Love, was that the one that then came out on your album The Best of Days? Uh Best of Days, Best of Days. I'm doing a box set at the moment, uh, which that'll be on. I said to Paul, uh he sent me the the tapes from the night because he tr- you know he trusts me he knows I'm not going to bloody give out tapes or anything like that or, you know otherwise we, we wouldn't be mates anymore so it's like he, he trusts me I trust him that's it you know so I said to him that track's not too bad you know uh, can I put it on the album for a bonus track he said yeah of course you can so I put it on the best of days as a bonus track we also have to get into this my friend I don't know if you can see this <laughs> We obviously have to talk about this one. Released 2018, 50 years after that smash hit single, Everlasting Love. A new album from Steve Ellis came out, Boom Bang Twang. This is a beautiful thing. Recorded with and produced by Paul Weller. Am I right in thinking that album and that and that work with Paul and that collaboration kicked off with a, yeah. a chance meeting where you are in Brighton with Paul's cousin Mark? Was that right? Kind of. No, not really. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, yes and no. Um, see, there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, I, I, you're asking me to go back to 1966 and I'm sort of like, I'm trying to, <laughs> I remember it. Exactly. It's uh, I, I don't think I'm doing too bad. Guys. You're doing fabulous, I mean, my friend. It's a little bit difficult to sort of gauge sometimes. No, Paul sent me a track to work on, which is on the album. Um, it's the bluesy one. Lonely No More? No, no, no. We wrote that as a, like a sort of Motowny sort of. Cry Me a River. Yeah, well done. I forgot the title. Terrible, weren't I? So he sent me a backing track of sorts. Charles edited all that with it. And I went in and uh, did the vocal. This is interim period. And then what happened was, in that space of time, I went into Brighton. I was going to Brighton a lot. Not at the moment, but I was going to Brighton. I've got a lot of mates in Brighton. They've got shops and all sorts of things. And if I get bored and I've got a day off from gigging or whatever, I go, oh, fancy a stroll out, I'll go to Brighton and see my pal. So I'm in this place called Snoopers, and this bloke keeps staring at me. And I thought, why does he keep looking at me for? And... Um, this happened two or three times while I'm in there. So I come out of there, didn't think much more about it, really. Then, then I went into um, my pal's shop, Sydney Street, and lo and behold, he's in there with his wife. I said, I've just seen you in Snoopers. He said, yeah. He said, I'm Mark. I said, hello, Mark. I said, I, said, I couldn't understand why he kept staring at me. He said, you're Steve, isn't you? I went, yeah. He says, I wanted to meet you. And he sort of got talking about music, and, and they had a band called Cow, or I have a band called Cow. And we just got on really, really well. And Max, his wife, he's lovely. And I end up uh, doing one of their tracks on the album as well. And they put they put some overdubs on the album as well. So it sort of spills out over like we did the album in sort of four, five, three-day sessions, something like that. If Paul was working away, I just carried on with Charles or maybe Cow, Mark and Max come in and we do the work on their track. It's all a bit like that. There's no set pattern. Oh, if you're in for three days, this is what we're going to do. And then whoever plays on it might be completely, I, I just call it a black barn crew because it, it's like Steve, you know, we talked about before. He just put some guitar on the track. He just, Paul just said, oh, you know, Brooks is coming down. So it's like, I would just call it black barn crew. Yeah. It's all like-minded people. There's no egos abounding. There's nobody on one. Everybody gets on. 
you just have a good time and make music, which is what it's supposed to be about, for God's sake. You mentioned the Black Barn crew. It's a really tight knit crew there, isn't it? And people yeah. who are on the album, you've got, you know, you've got Steve Craddock we mentioned earlier. You've got, you know, Andy Crofts from the Moon, Ben Gardelia from the Moons. You've got Charles that you mentioned engineering, um, working with you. Charles it's... plays a bit as well. Oh, yeah, Charles he's on there as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that. Charles will play a bit of this. Bit of drums and that, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bass, bass as well. Yeah, percussion. There's no end to this guy's talents, but it's a really tight crew down there. Isn't Don't it? tell him that, for God's sake. <laughs> we call him. We call him Sir Charles, anyway. No, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get Sir Charles on. He needs to come on the podcast. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that you never get him off. He'd be on here for a week. <laughs> I'd be more than welcome. But there's, there's a really tight knit crew. Did you know you were making an album? So did, was that the first vision? And, and when the, when that first song came along, did you know this was going to be an LP, or what was it going to be? No, no, no. I went up to do the vocal with Paul for Grimy River. And because I've made an album for a few years, been out, been out touring and playing, what have we. I can't remember how long even, maybe four or five years, something like that, I'm not sure. And Paul just said, why don't you do your album here? So we had a little chat about it all. And um, he said, I'll get a Ben and um, Andy in. And then my mate come in that works for me, sort of like my right hand man, big Kev, plays Hammond and a bit, he plays a bit of everything as well. Yeah, he's like a symphonic wizard, the guy from the Dream Foundry, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, How did you know about he's, him? He's like a magician. I've been digging him out, mate. I do my research. He's, he's incredible. You do, don't you? God he's... almighty. Yeah, Kev, <laughs> Kev's my, my right, he's like my right hand man. I call him the Buddha of Lowestoft. He's like he's like six foot five. Don't let him hear this. He looks like a serial killer when he just gets up. (laughs) But put it this way: people people sort of look at him and think, "Hmm, bad idea." (laughs) Don't think I'll upset him. Won't mess with him. Yeah, he's a gentle soul. I have seen him lose it, and it's not pretty. (laughs) I nearly went through the car windscreen because somebody was tailgating us one night, and and he'd had enough, and he just slammed the brakes on and got out of the car. And I thought, "Oh, I nearly went through the windscreen," and I had my arm in plaster because I'd had an operation. And I went, "You prat! What are you doing?" He's been tailgating us for two hours, and I went, "Oh, oh, for God's sake, Kev!" I said, said, "My arm's killing me." now you prat no, no, that's life on the road I mean we did 25,000 miles on one uh, one tour a couple of years oh, ago yeah. it's, it's only UK it's now Steve I have, to pull you, I have to pull you back on track Steve how did you pick the cover versions that are on there because it's really interesting being a Weller fan for the last 30 plus years I guess all the cover versions on there are songs that he's yeah. covered but I know you were doing them long before Paul as well so songs like Black Sheep Boy the Tim Harding song Paul covered this a lot around the time of Wildwood as well it might even be a B-side at one point I know it's certainly on the um, Fly on the Wall box set as well brilliant brilliant Tune. Uh, we move on to Sitting in Limbo, which is the Jimmy Cliff song, which I remember Paul doing. Would have been like nine, early 90s, like 92. I think it's even on a um, bootleg, The Black Sessions, if I remember rightly, uh, which is an, again a brilliant song. Um, I Forgot to Be Your Lover, which I've seen Paul do on Jules Holland as a cover too. I'll just give you an example. I mean, Paul, Paul's um, Limbo, that was down to him. He, he said, uh, what about this How Do They Come, Jimmy Cliff, if I remember rightly. So we did a version of that. But um, he said, why don't you do a Tim Harding number? And I said, because they've all been done, mate. You know, up fire a carpenter, red balloon. They've all been done. All the good ones have all been done. And he went, what about Black Sheep Boy? And I went, oh, good call. Good call. Forgot about that one. And nobody else has done it. So we did it. 
Uh, great song. Um, what else is on there cover-wise? Let's think. Yeah, I, mean, I remember hearing Paul do that um, like back in the Wildwood days. He'd play that regularly on like, radio sessions. It might have been a B-side oh, really? at some point as well, but it's brilliant. And, I thought um, you knew the chords already then. That's, what... <laughs> yeah, that's why he's picked it, yeah. Um, yeah, there was the, Will- the William Bell song, I Forgot to Be Your Lover, Lover is another one. It's about the same time as I think I did my last album, the band I had, we used to do that live and it go I used to go down really really well that was a flu I went in a shop in Brighton to see one of my pals and uh, in a record shop he said he's got his juke he's got his uh jukebox I at me um he's got his uh he's got his decks on and he's gone to me um this record should be played at least once a day and he put that on and I, I, I I'd never heard it before slipped the neck never heard it and I went what is that William Bell I said can I have it he went no you can't <laughs> so I've got the um I got a CD and uh, we rehearsed out. We played it every night for about six months on tour. So then I says, what about that one? And we went, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did that. It's sort of like that, really. It was, uh, nobody was like wagging their finger like, we well, must do this. Paul's definitely responsible for, God, what's it called? Sunday, something. Oh, something. Tobacco Ash yeah. Sunday, right? Oh, well done. Yeah, Tobacco Ash Sunday. You, you do have benefit having a record down there. I know, I've got it here in front of me. I've got it here in front uh, of me. Harsh, uh, harsh Reality, wasn't it? The original, was that right? Yeah, well, it's a bit obscure, isn't it? It's yeah. a bit obscure. But Big Kev liked it, big time. He went, oh, the spinning track, that. nobody's ever done it. So we gave that a go, played it live. Everybody seemed happy with it. So that's where that one come from. And that right. was Paul's idea, that one. And what's it like in the studio with Paul as a, because I'm guessing he's like in a, in a producer mode as well, where you, it's that collaboration, you're kind of bouncing ideas off each other. A lot of my guests have talked about Paul adding brushstrokes to songs as a kind of painter and the fact that he's able to add in this kind of, you know, these these little touches on records that just kind of add sparkle. Yeah, well, that's what I said to you before. I mean, you know, I hope you don't hear this because we end up falling out and my mate said something wrong, you know, I don't know. Because I, I, I can't take it all seriously. He's my mate and that's it. So that's the end of it. No, to answer your question, um, he will just get an idea and, and he won't say anything. Just I told you before, just get up and go and put it on. Mm. And you go, oh, damn, that works. It's like I did I go back to what we was talking about, that track, Oh, Death. That's the last track on the album. We were yeah. going to lose it. And then I thought, nah, it deserves more than that, really. You know, so Charles has gone, yeah, but Paul's, Paul's away. I, I said, well, I'll just put it down a cappella. I said, just, you know, I'll just sing it a cappella, put a drone on it. I said, put a drone on it, so I sort of staying in key virtually, which I managed to do. And then I put it down. It was sort of left in abeyance. And then Paul came back uh, from wherever. He heard it, picked his guitar up, went straight out, put his guitar in it, and then said to Charles, play that backwards. <laughs> so it was like a backwards guitar. And then I said to Charles, put a lutine bell on it. So like a ship, like a ship bell in the night, you know, warning bell yeah. in the ocean. I think Charles put something I can't remember what he put on it a little bit of something a bit of I don't know what he put on it but he did add something to it Charles and then we sort of thought Charles is going oh it's a bit of an an odd track I said I said we just I think I might even talk to Paul about it and I just said Paul look we put it on the end we stick stick it on the end I said you know if they like it they like it if they don't like it they take it off you know turn it off turn it over whatever so we put it on the album so I'm doing this gig uh, on tour and this, this little moddy girl comes up to me. Hello, Steve, how are you? And I'm going, yeah, I'm all right. You all right? Yeah, yeah. I bought your album. I went, oh, thanks. I said, what track do you like best? She says, oh, death. I went, no. 
I mean, you couldn't make that up, could you? Mm. You can't gauge what people like. Are there ever occasions when it doesn't work then and you're kind of trying something and going, each of you, and going, and then you're like, nah, let's do that, take it off again. Yeah, the fact that you can just go, go, you know, hear a track, go, oh, what that needs is this, then wander off, play it. You can go, oh, what it needs is a bit of this bells or this this um, shit yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And it just works. Yeah. How does that, I mean, do you ever get something you go, no, that sounds crap, ditch that, didn't work. But, but it seems like it works every time. It does. Uh, we've never scrapped anything. I don't know. I, I, I can't. That's mad. I don't know. That's, it, it, that's mad it's to like me. connected. Was he say connected by the universe? Yeah. It's this like sometimes I don't speak to Paul all the time. I don't drive him mad. You know, he's my mate and, and I'm always there for him. If, if he needed me, I'll be there for him, whatever. One day I says to him, uh, I said, it's fucking weird the other day. He says, why? I said, I'll stand at the sink washing up and I don't know why I'm thinking about you. And then you rang me up. <laughs> and it was like, at the same, in that split second, it was like he rang me up. And I went, hello. And it was Paul. I went, I went you're having a laugh. Went, what are you talking about? And it's like, it's like just strange. But I, I don't know what it is. It's because we're Welsh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like probably, Welsh ancestors. Who knows? Probably, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No, I love all the bits. I mean, you know, it's a Paul Weller podcast, whatever you, you know, I'm just telling you what, he, what it is like. You know, he's my mate. How did it and, feel getting, when he did the little write-up for the album? And I'll read it out. I won't read it out to you because you know what yeah. it says and it will embarrass you. Yeah. But when you got that in, and he wrote the little, all the words there, what did it feel like to get that back from your mate? Oh, it was not, I thought it was nice. It was a, a little touch because it was his idea. So I'm going to write a little word line, I think, for, for the album. But what I like about Boys Black and White, it's like, you know, I've got a lot of mates in the music business. I used to be, major, major league powers with Roger Daltrey, you know, people go, oh, I got one the other day, it was a killer, it was, I'll go back to what you said, it was a killer the other day. My brother sent me an email saying, his mate has got a bucket list and on it, he wants to meet Roger Daltrey, could I arrange a meeting? And I was like, follow my brother, I said, is this a wind-up or what? He went, no, don't, don't, I'm not taking the bullet for him, he asked me to ask you and I told him there was no chance. But people just get the most ridiculous ideas in their head, you know, about fame and all it, uh, and, well, yeah. this alleged fame, you know. But I'm not debunking it. I'm just saying it's weird. Yeah. I, I find it weird. Well, all you're doing as well is just something you love to do, right? I'm guessing you're not thinking too yeah. much. Yeah, I mean, he, he did it. He's my mate, and I'd do the same for him. Uh, you know, we've never had a bad word in what must be 30 years. What's the style council? Is that 30 well, 40, years ago? 40, 38 since it started. Really? Yeah. Oh no, that means I've only got a little bit left. <laughs> well, Steve, we need to wrap up before you go then. <laughs> no, no. God help us. I'm not going yet, mate. I'm not going yet. I you mentioned about recording with Paul recently, so something new is on the way. Um, is that another album? Yeah. Is that a single, just a song? Tell us about that. I'm not plug plugging, but I've got a box. I'm working on a box set at the moment, 10 CD sort of box sets, career retrospective, whatever they want to call it. And it's all encompasses most of the tracks we can license in, which is a real job of work. And we've been doing it for months and it's all coming together and I've put loads of work into it. And Paul said, um, well, why don't we do a bonus track for it? I went, yeah, I'm up for that if, you, if you're if up for it, you know. So he sent me this track in the lockdown that I told you about. I sort of worked on it and then we were going to go, but then we got circumstances were good to go up the studio and because of COVID, basically. It was primarily for a bonus track for the box set. I'll probably put it out as, I don't know, it's up for debate, really. I'll have to talk to Paul about it, but I mean, 
we'll probably put it out as a single. I've got this other track I want to record, not with Paul, with, with my mate Norman, but he's he's in a blues band, Norman Beaker. I've recorded with him on his album last year or the year before, I can't remember. Norman's great. He's played with everybody. Alexis Cornery, you've never heard of. Eric Clapton, I think. Um, Peter Green. He's played with everybody. Lovely bloke from Salford. I found this track. I, I won't tell you what it is, but I found this track, which is 1965, which could be totally appropriate for what's going on right now in right. this world where madness we're all currently living. But I, I might have a stab at that, and then um, might even remix, get it remixed as well. Drag it into the 21st century. What about live dates for you? Is 2022 back on the road? I've got dates in sheet for December. Okay. And then I've got dates right through till June. Whether they come off, I don't know, because everything is so precarious at the moment. I mean, numbers are going up. I think people have sort of been logged into this false sense of it's over. It's not over. It's spiking. I think that gigs might suffer. Certainly the tour I should be on now, it's had a big impact on now. People getting ill within the um, tour itself, uh, dates being pulled. I just I took a judgment call on it because I had medical problem with my throat chest that I picked up on tour last year last tour not last year mm. uh, end of 2019 beginning of 20 so sort of like under review from the hospital and um, the first chance I've had to sing was ironically at Blackburn when I did this track I just done yeah. so I said to the promoter I said I'm not confident that I can do this tour purely because I've never turned a gig down in my life purely because I don't want to get three, four dates in and my voice goes. Also, I'm shielding for somebody. My, one of my, my family and my boys got um, no immune system. So that's obviously top of my list. So I just took the view that it wasn't a good time to go out jump, jumping about on tours, staying in 20 different hotels and 40 different venues. And Robert was good about it. He just said, Steve, you never let me down. You've always been under 1%. He said, I get what you're saying. I forgive you. <laughs> no, yeah, I like Robert. He's a good promoter. He's nice. good promoter. This has been so lovely, Steve. I've enjoyed every second of this. I have two final questions for you before you go, all right? You're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the Jam, the Style Council, or Solo. Which one are you going to pick? Ah, blank. Can I think about that for a minute while you tell me the other question? Yeah, the other question is, purpose of this podcast is to talk to lovely people like you, but it's also for me to be able to interview Paul Weller, the interview that I never managed to get during my radio career. If it happens, what should I talk to him about? Talk to him about the weather. You just talk about anything. Relevant. He's an intelligent man. If you talk about music, it's probably not the best plan because he lives and breathes here. He's into all sorts. You know, he's got a lively mind. He's um, he's top guy. He's one of my best pals. You know, all the years in the music industry, there have been but a few constants, and he he is top five. Yeah. You know, there's Zoot Money, there's Paul, and there's a few others. The top five. You know, like, they're like my brothers. But I said to Paul once. I said uh, many years ago. I said to him, uh, and I'm not saying it for any other reason, it's true. I stayed at Roger Daltry's for a couple of days and um, probably a good few years back now, 10 years maybe, I can't remember. I talked to Paul on the phone and I said, you know, you're like my brother, don't you? And I think that's that's pretty much how I view him. He's, he's like my brother. And I like his attitude because, you know, there's two answers to a question. There's a long-winded one that goes around in circles and never ending when you ask a, a really, really, really serious question and there's another one which is just no and, and, and Paul doesn't waste his breath on things like somebody goes would you uh, consider no because <laughs> you know, it just it just saves all the emotion yeah, just, straight to the point it just saves all if there ever is this interview will never speak to me again I'll get um, out of let it let me think let me think um, what song with God almighty oh hang on a minute can I have three 
<laughs> well, one from each band. Well, um, I don't know if it'd be one from each band. Oh, go on there. All right, tell me, tell me what you yeah, tell me what's going through your head. Go on. The jam, if it was the jam, the, the, the one song that, that always stuck with me was that's entertainment. Yeah, that, that always stuck with me when Paul was solo. His first album, which I think is excellent, I still play it. There's a track on it called Into Tomorrow. Oh yeah, what a great tune! That's one of my favourite tracks. I like Changing Man. And then I like Fat Pop. There's two or three tracks on there that I really like. There's, two or three, there's always two or three tracks that I really like on every album he does. I mean, particularly, you know, I'm singing one down the phone to him once when I was going to the garage. <laughs> I just got the copy of it. I just got the album. He sent me the album. I said, hey, I like that track. Sha-la-la-la-la. <laughs> That's a good track. Can't remember what it's called, but I mean, the wonder of it all, the joy to know. Or something like that. I think a fabulous song. But I mean, you just come out with a gem every now and again. And um, there's too many. There's too many. It's a difficult question to answer seriously. Honestly, I can't. I can't answer that question. I can't. No. I don't think so. you gave a great answer. I have to say, and the, and the fact that you singing you singing one of Paul's songs down the phone back at him, I love. <laughs> well, it's a good song, you know. <laughs> but I think Fat Pop's a really good album. But I, I love his sort of career to date. But a book ended by the, the first album we made and the last album we just made are probably my two favourite albums. That's not bad, is, is it? That's not bad in like years. There's a lot yeah. of really good stuff in between, but I mean, a lot of good stuff in between, but that's just me. That's not a bad thing, though, is it? 30 years and your, your first and your, your, your current is um, is up there with the very best of his work. I like that. Well, there's a lot in between. Check out the in-betweens. <laughs> I'm not praising them anymore. Otherwise, I'll be getting a phone call. <laughs> That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. Top loser, top bloke, much yep. misunderstood. He's not a grouchy, miserable old git. He's not at all. Not far, very far from. Give us a list of his faults now, Steve, if you wouldn't mind, just so we huh? can just so we can have some balance. Give me a list of his faults. <laughs> no, yeah. Is it is it that he's a Chelsea supporter, or is that all right with you? Yeah, that's the biggest fault we've got, yeah. Most definitely. Well read, well read, yeah. But I did buy him a Chelsea scarf. From an Arsenal supporter, mate, that is a really, really big gift. <laughs> Was it your scarf that he put on top of the piano at the live gig? Did you see that? A woolly one. Yeah, I gave him it. Oh, it was a woolly one, I gave him it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, Chelsea were in the FA Cup final when he did a live concert. It was the one that, um, who was it? It was the Barbican gig. You know, I don't know. I gave him it at the barn a couple of years ago when we did when we were doing the album. I gave him a Chelsea. I couldn't believe I gave him a Chelsea scarf. I asked him support and gave him a Chelsea scarf. Could have been one. Could have been a Tottenham one. That's true. Could have been worse. Could have been worse. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. Joey Shirley would be panning me off now. <laughs> Steve, I've loved every second of this. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. No, I'm pleasure. Thank, thanks for having me. I hope I haven't talked your ears off. I just haven't seen anybody for 18 months. <laughs> That's my skip. You could keep that bit in. Keep that in. I haven't seen anyone. Absolute pleasure, mate. It was nice to meet you, albeit across the uh, strangeness of the internet or whatever it is. Well, there you go. I told you it was a very special episode. My thanks once again to Steve Ellis for joining me on the podcast. And I promise I'll read out the sleeve notes for Boom Bang Twang. This is what Paul wrote on the sleeve notes. Maybe if we live long enough, we grow into what we always wanted to be. Maybe, just maybe, if we stick at what we love, it'll come round and come good. Steve Ellis has earned the right to sing the blues if he wants, and sing it he does. I think back to seeing him on Top of the Pops, him as a little kid with a big voice, to all these years later, 50. I was 10 at the time. It's true, I tell you. When the same little fella is still singing with a big voice. Through all life's trials and letdowns, pain, loss, mistakes, circumstances, love, happiness, we're all looking for the good bits. Here's some for you. 
Paul Weller, 2018. P.S. He's my mate and I love him dearly. Sleeve notes for the album Boom Bang Twang. You can find all the details about the LP in the show notes for this podcast. Head to paulwellerfanpodcast.com. I've also put some of the videos that we talked about up there as well. You'll find all the details, paulwellerfanpodcast.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, then please make sure you follow and leave a review as well. It does help us to find new listeners to the show. So make sure you get on your social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you use, and share the link to the podcast as well. Tell all your Weller-loving mates that this thing exists. You can find me on Twitter, get in touch, at WellerFanPod, or on Instagram and Facebook, it's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. And don't forget to head to the website where you can buy me a coffee as well. It's PaulWellerFanPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.